Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what the Word of God says about the topics that we are looking at so we can know what we believe, rather than trying to back up what we believe by searching the Scriptures. We truly are on a truth quest. We really want to know what the truth is and live those things. If you have a question, you can write the word question down and then follow that by your question. Reread it a couple of times before you post it. Uh, it's good to see you guys uh, already uh, coming on here on the chat. Uh, I have a first question that was given to me by my wife, Kathy. So she said, she asked, what is the difference between a person's soul and heart? So you see a lot of scriptures that talk about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there is some debate about exactly what these Greek and Hebrew words mean. And the study is really extensive. You could dive in to the meaning of heart, soul, and spirit in Hebrew. You could dive into the meaning of heart, soul, and spirit in Greek. And there is even some difference among those who are experts in Hebrew and Greek and theologians as to whether we are dualistic, meaning that we have a heart, uh, excuse me, a soul and a body, and the soul would be our soul, spirit, all, all that, and a body, or whether we're three, soul, body, and spirit. What I do know that the heart represents the centermost part of a person, who a person is. Um, in English, we often use the heart to speak of emotions. That's rarely done in Scripture. Usually when it talks about the heart, it's talking about the very center of a person. So if you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, Deuteronomy 6.5, or what is it, Matthew uh, uh, 4.12, I guess. No, uh, Matthew 22.37. Um, if you're going to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, that's going to be everything that you are, the center of your very person. The word for emotion in the Old Testament is interesting. It's stomach or bowels. Um, in Song of Solomon, there's a statement that says, um, when I heard my lover's hand on the latch on the door, my bowels moved within me. That's a radically different meaning than what we have today for our bowels moving. Um, and so let me just show you a couple of scriptures here that may be able to help us really get an understanding for it. So in Matthew 24, 37, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Um, and so some will try to say that the soul is our consciousness and the spirit is that part of you that comes to life when you're born again. Um, the pneuma in the, um, in the Greek. So, um, that, and ruach in, the, in Hebrew. And so that would be the part that is dormant, that comes to life um, when, you are, when you are born again. But here it says mind. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, I think you could be, so we, we see a distinction between the mind and the consciousness and the soul of an individual. So I think that it would mean more than just mind. Um, when you look at the next verse here, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here Paul certainly makes a different distinction between the spirit and the soul, spirit, soul, and body, 
And um, I think because of the next one that I've got here, and this is um, Hebrews 4.12, the soul and the spirits, the joints and the marrow, the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So notice there it says um, that it is um, a discerner, a, a piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit. So the word of God is able to get down there and see the division between the soul and the spirit. So I would say the soul is your who you are as a person in general. The heart is that intent deep down inside of you, which you intend with everything you've got to seek and do something. So you can set your heart on doing something and that just means that's an intensity. Um, your soul being set on doing something would be all that you are. So that would, I would say would be the main difference between the two. Um, it opens up just a huge debate that's an inner, inner Christian, it's a hands-open debate, right? As Christians, we go, there's some different feelings and thoughts about this, and that's okay. We can have different feelings and thoughts. There are things in the Bible that aren't always as really clear as we would like them to be, and we just kind of have to make a decision on it, and that's okay. There are times when it's really set in stone, and we have to make our decision um, based on what the Word of God says, because it's so set in stone. So um, thank you, Kathy, my wife, for that question. Uh, I want to come back here and we have two questions that are loaded up pretty quick um, by JG. Uh, good to see you, JG. And JG says, um, how do we find out what God's plan and purpose is specifically for our lives? Prayer, of course, is one of the ways. Uh, what are other practical ways to find out? All right. Thank you for the question. Um, I'm going to go fall back on, um, I believe it's Proverbs. It's Proverbs three, five, or three, four, somewhere around there, um, you're gonna know it right away. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So you're looking for God to direct your paths. And the promise of that passage is that if you will do the three things in the first part of that, then he's gonna direct your path. So what are those three things? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means that when you read God's word, uh, that when you're following him, do you trust that he's got your life, he's got your back, he's going to take care of you, he knows what's best for you, he's your father that's in heaven. You're going to trust in God with everything you have. Tr um, lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes your own under... I'm going to go often. Your own understanding is different than God's. Often my own understanding is different than God's. I think and feel we should go one way. And when people say, well, I just don't feel like that's right. Well, we never go by our feelings because we can feel something that is not true. And so um, we lean not on our own understanding. Uh, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. So that means that as you're going through life, you're acknowledging him in everything. You're praying about things, like you said. Um, you're, you're asking God, you're giving God uh, the ability to be able to direct your path. And um, so that you really seek him and you're able to find it. So I really believe that's how you can do it. I believe you can be confident. I can tell you that when I come to a decision that I don't know what to make and I, and I need to make a decision, I pray fervently about it. And then I'm, I'm open to God changing my mind. When I make a decision to do something, I'm open to God changing my mind because God's big enough to come in and change my mind if I've made the wrong decision because I could make the wrong decision. But God has promised that he would direct my path and um, I, and I believe that he will. If we do those things, um, God's word is true. It will not come back void. It will do um, what it is said that it is going to do. Thank you, JG. JG has another one. 
put these in right away when we pop, when uh, when we started up our Q and A. Pastor Robert, does Esau metaphorically represent people who sell their souls to Satan for material wealth, and also those who take the mark of the beast in Revelation? In Revelation, um, I've never thought of Esau as selling his soul to Satan or as taking the mark of the beast, but I think that his flaw could lead to both of those if that's something you can do, if you can sell your soul to Satan. Um, what I mean is his flaw is the flesh. He doesn't care about spiritual things. He just cares about fleshly things. When he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, he said, what good is my birthright if I die? He wasn't gonna die, he was just really hungry. But he saw taking care of his extreme hunger as being more important than having the birthright. And so he sold it to Jacob. He cared about those things. And even afterwards, when he was sought repentance, he did so with tears, but was not able to find it. So he is a man of the flesh. And the Bible says, if you sow to the flesh from the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit from the spirit, you are going to reap life. And so we want to make sure that we sow daily to the spirit and knowing that if we sow to the flesh from the flesh, we're going to get more back. If you sow seeds, then you get a crop of those kind of seeds, right? If you, whatever seeds it is you sow, and if you sow to the flesh from the flesh, you're going to get corruption. And that's Esau. Could that lead him to be directed by the devil? Sell a soul per se, um, which is, as far as I know, not a biblical term, um, but taking the mark of the beast certainly is. Would, would Esau take the mark of the beast if he were in the middle of the tribulation period? I would say certainly because he doesn't care about spiritual things. He wants his food more than he wants anything that's spiritual. And anyone who, does, who takes the mark of the beast is going to have to say, I'm going to suffer by not taking the mark of the beast, which is one of the reasons I believe Christians can't be in the tribulation period, by the way, because they're going to be killed. Uh, they're going to be destroyed. The Antichrist is given complete and total power. The wrath that comes upon the world is the wrath of God. And we as Christians are not going to suffer that. All right. So that little end there thrown in for free. Uh, good to see you, Carl. Uh, we have a question here uh, from Albert. Albert says, um, hello, Pastor. Is 2022, um, is numbers, oh, numbers, 20, 22, uh, 20 and 22, God tells Balaam to go to Balak, but he grows angry at him for going. Balaam calls God his Lord, but God clearly knows his heart. Is he a type of carnal Christian? Um, I think I want to say no to that. Remember, I'm answering this off the top of my head. Um, I think Balaam is a type of non-Christian. So he, he, Balak comes to him, sends to him and says, I want you to go with me and curse Israel. And Balaam says, let me ask God. I think a genuine Christian, even a carnal one would go, I can't curse God's people. No, I'm not going to do them. But he goes and he asks God, what a question to ask God. Can I curse your people? God tells him no. Then he goes back in the morning, says, I'm sorry, I got bad news, boys. I can't go and curse God's people. And so they say, too bad because we have a big sack of money here. I'm paraphrasing all this, right? We have a big sack of money here we would like to give you. And Balaam says, let me go and ask again. So Balaam goes a second time and says, Lord, can I go and curse your people? And God says, go ahead and go with them, but don't curse my people. It's this persistence when God has already told him no, that God allows him to go. And then an sends an angel to stand in his way and kill him, right? So it's always a danger when God says, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And then you do it anyway. But Balaam 
when you read it and there are numbers is a false prophet if you ever had any desires to really serve and follow god we don't know of them uh it he's he's a false prophet and he's also uh perhaps not israeli or jewish so um you can go ahead and, and, and do a little bit of research on who balaam was and where he came from all right thanks um albert i think that he would be a type of a pretend believer more than a type of a carnal believer thank you appreciate that question it's a good one we have a question from joe joe good to see you joe says joe comes to us from facebook joe says follow up from last time how do you feel about medium that say that they are able to think here from those who have died okay so we talked about mediums and psychics last uh wednesday night and i had said you need to stay away from them as christians we stay as far away from them as we possibly can and mediums the same thing these people that say they can talk to the dead um this is of course we don't ever find anything in the epistles or um in in the new testament that would even begin to think that we should do anything but call out to god to be able to hear things uh, and then in the Old Testament, we're told that these are an abomination to God, that, that God is to stay, uh, stay away from them. So uh, I don't think that they're able to legitimately hear it. I think these are parlor tricks. We talked about this last week. Um, and so these mediums, these psychics, I would say as Christians, do not be associated with them. You're involved in something that is at ver the very best ripping people off, at the very worst, actually satanic. And we want to stay away from anything that is like that. All right. So thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate your question there again. All right. Sorry, my nose is running a little bit. Uh, don't know if you should really announce those kind of things. Um, all right. So uh, let's see what kind of questions we've got here. Uh, good to see you, Daniel. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of comments going on. Good stuff. Um, Andre has a question. He says two parts. So let's bring that in here. Uh, two parts. Uh, was there a specific reason for the author of 2 Kings 2, 23 and 24 spe uh, specified it was two female bears that mauled those kids and is the proof that God favors bald men like myself? Uh, well, I didn't know you were bald, Andre. Um, so that it, it's an odd story, right? There in 2 Kings um elijah who must be bald is going down the road and a group of kids start to mock him for having a bald head uh the word for youths there is not a child it is it is all the way from what we would see all the way from teenagers into young men so these are young people we could even think of a gang of 40 people who start harassing him for being bald and he curses them and the two female bears come out and maul and kill 40 of them uh as i said it's a strange story and but we shouldn't think of it like children being mauled like people do and try to mock god with it it's actually the word for would be a young person we don't know exactly how old these people are but they're closer to adults than they are to children and would be more like a gang of kids that were out there so specifically why female bears i have no idea what, what that would be um i don't know if there's any significance to it maybe i just not aware of it um and uh is a proof that god favors bald men of course of course it is yes very much so 
God favors people who are bald for sure. All right. Thanks, Andre. I really, really do appreciate your question. All right. Um, so we have another question from Matt. Matt says, um, I have a friend that believes in Jesus, but thinks events in Genesis like Noah's flood is not believable and fictional. How do you witness to people like that as technically it's not part of salvation, but belief in the flood? Also, did Wednesday's Q&A get taken down? I could not find it on Facebook or YouTube after you went live. Uh, yeah, it did get taken down. There were just problems with it from the very beginning. And um, because of so many problems, we just went ahead and took it down. Quality control kind of things. So we're working on it. Uh, we have um, a new computer. We may be switching out this computer sooner or later, and we're trying to get all the settings right. So yeah, um, as far as your friend who believes in Jesus, but thinks the events of Genesis like Noah's flood is not believable, but fiction. Uh, it, if he genuinely trusts in Christ, he genuinely believes in Jesus, and th this is sincere, then what he believes about the flood or the days of creation or the age of the earth uh, isn't what saved you. Believing the right things about the creation of the world and the flood is not what saves you. There, there is a defense for those things, okay? But that's not what your question is. The question is, if this person doesn't believe that the flood is literal, but that it's fictional, then are they, can they still be saved? The answer to that is yes. None of those things are we ever told are ways by which we determine whether or not someone is genuinely saved. I know people that I know are genuinely committed to Christ and love Jesus who believe that the story of Jonah is fictional. I believe that it's not, that it's, that it's historical and I've got defenses for that, for that reason biblically. But it's just one of those things that I disagree with, with some Christians who will say, well, this was, a, this was an analogy. It was meant to be an analogy. And um, so, no, you're, you don't need to, I don't think you need to witness to them at all. You guys can certainly discuss why you would believe that Adam and Eve were real people, that the flood uh, was a real event. You can talk about those things, but when it comes to, um, but when it comes to witnessing to them, you don't need to witness to them. If they're genuine believers, you don't need to witness to them so they can believe things that are different. And that's true um, really across the board when it comes to, to doctrines, right? You, you hear people talk about pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib when the crazy thing is, is we all believe almost the exact same thing except when we're gonna be taken out and then somebody calls somebody else an idiot because they believe something different. Uh, we ought to be gentle and loving in these things and allow people room to be able to make their own honest decisions. How are we going to be able to come to the truth if we judge people, if they believe something that is different based on what they're finding in the scriptures? What we want to do is encourage them with scriptures to be able to lead them gently and correct them into the right way. All right, Matt, thank you very much for your question. Um, it is very interesting and very applicable. I think applicable in a lot of different areas. All right, thank you very much for your question. So we have a, uh, a question here from Jari. Jari also asked me a question on another video I don't know if that's what this question is, um, but I have that planned for another um, uh, for another day of opening up with that comment. Jari, good to see you. 
Um, Jari says, why didn't God just create people that would make the choice to choose him, uh, him free will? Why did he create Satan knowing that he will be in the lake of fire, no suffering if he's created, uh, if he just created us? All right. Um, so the answer to this, Jari, is free will. God has to give people free will. And it's got to be a very real choice. Because if he creates people who are going to follow him, no matter what, then you have to love God. And if you force someone to love you, well, you can't do that. If a man tries to force a woman to love him, then she's going to get as far away from him as she can. It's got to be her decision and his decision. It's their decision to love. And so when God gave me free will, choose you this day whom you would serve. Choose God and live, the Bible says. But if I choose not to choose God, then, hey, I'm going to have the consequences of living apart from God forever. Um, and why did God create us knowing that? Because it had to be real. It had to, it had to be real that we would genuinely commit our lives to Christ. And a lot of questions like, why didn't God create people? That very difficult answer. Because I'm not in God's mind. I can look at scriptures and what the Bible says. The Bible says that God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, that's pretty clear. All, God wants all people to get saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus came and gave his life so people could be saved. He suffered and died on the cross because he cares about the lost. But he had to give man a, a, a true, real choice. And why did he create Satan? Knowing that he would be in the lake of fire. Um, uh, because he, cre he created all of the angels with the ability to be able to make a decision to walk away from him. Again, they had to have the, the, the decision to be able to stay or go, I think. And they made a decision. He creates people, beings, angels with a free will. They lived in glory and then fell from it. We fell from glory in the beginning and now we make a decision to move into glory. So it's a little bit different with the angels, but he get, he has to make living beings with a choice. Otherwise, you just make robots, right? You would just be a robot that has to do what God wants you to do. It's the same problem that I find in Calvinism when Calvinism believes in irresistible grace. Someone has to be saved or or or, um, or limited atonement. That God it doesn't. There's people that, that God will not save, not because he doesn't like them, not because he hasn't chosen them, no different than anybody else, but simply because God decided I'm not going to save you just randomly. And why they have to have it random, I don't know. Bible says whom God foreknew, he also predestined. God knows who will make good and bad decisions. And so God can choose based upon the decisions that we would make, knowing us from before the foundations of the world. All right, Jari. So um, no extra for that little Calvinist throw, uh, statement thrown in there. Um, but um, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. All right. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining us. If you have a question, then write the word question in the comment section and then write your question out. Read it a couple of times to make sure it's clear and then go ahead and submit your question. Um, every Wednesday and Saturday from two to three o'clock, we take time to answer as many questions as come in and, um, and we're looking at them through the light of scripture uh, to see that we might be able to really know what the truth is. So we have another question here from Jari. And Jari says, uh, what is the purpose of the asteroid built? Did man or an um, asteroid kill the dinosaurs? 
did Job see a, okay, a, I'm not sure how to pronounce that first one, but a Levi, Leviathan. The Bible talks about a behemoth. I'm not sure what a crow, so, uh, Karanosaurus, Karanosaurus, Leviathan. Um, all right, so here you get into questions of, okay, so what, what is the purpose of the asteroid belt? As far as I understand the asteroid belt, is that it has been created uh, because as things are moving around the sun, they are all brought into that area, kind of like rings in a planet, when something is circulating a planet, are created when they're all brought into that area. Jupiter is like a giant vacuum cleaner for our solar system, where these asteroids come around and Jupiter's so large in mass that it sucks in. I mean, a while ago, what was it? I mean, was it Shoemaker-Levy comet that went into Jupiter? Um, and we had pictures of that back in the, I think, early 90s, late 80s. Uh, but the, the purpose of the asteroid belt is just that everything that when the world was created and there was all this debris out there, we know that the world was much more violent because we see the moon with so many craters that are in it and it's become less violent because of the asteroid belt. Uh, did um, an asteroid kill the dinosaurs? The question would be, I believe that the dinosaurs were killed in the flood. I, I believe that there was a literal flood that flooded the entire world. And I believe that the creation of the Grand Canyon is a result of that. I believe that the Great Lakes is a result of that. I believe that the fossil record showing the destruction and pileup of so many dinosaurs is, a, is, is evidence of that. And um, there, there's so many different things that I really believe um, as far as that goes. So did an asteroid hit when the flood hit? Maybe. Maybe that was part of what God did when he caused it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. We aren't told everything in the Bible, right? I mean, there would be no room to give us all of the information. So there's certainly things that God didn't tell us. So maybe, you know, I think scientists say 50,000 years ago, an asteroid hit and killed the dinosaurs. Maybe I'm wrong on my dates. Um, I would just love to look that up. Um, ah, we can look it up later. Look it up for yourself. Um, I'm not sure on, on the dates. Um, but of what scientists say, how long ago an um, asteroid hit. Did Job see Leviathan, Behemoth, um, Coronosaurus, uh, Brachiosaurus? Uh, yeah, I think he did. I think that Job said, consider the, Levi the Leviathan, consider the Behemoth. And people say, well, the Behemoth was a hippopotamus. It says his tail swings like a cedar. That's not a hippopotamus. That's something like a dinosaur that has a big tail that we find. Um, and so I think that he did see it because I do believe that man and dinosaurs lived at the same time. There's sandstone formations that find dinosaur prints and human prints in the same level, which would be at the same time. So these would have to be described some other way. I don't know what scientists do with it, but it would have to be described some other way. They've also discovered soft tissue in certain dinosaur bones, which would give you question to dinosaurs dying off, um, I guess it was 50,000 years ago. So it was a 50, maybe 50 million years ago. I can't remember now. I wanna look it up so bad and see what it is. Let me just take a minute and see if I can see, um, see if I can get the quick answer to how long ago dinosaurs were made. All right, so I'm just gonna type in here when were, so bad at this, 
Let me just see if something comes up fast. All right, um, 65 million years ago is what scientists say. All right, so they say that they were destroyed by an asteroid um, and went extinct 65 million years ago. So, um, yeah, 50,000 years ago. Yeah, I had that one right on the nose, didn't I? Um, so I, I think, so 65 million years ago, there would be no soft tissue that was found in, for dinosaurs at all. Um, but there has been dinosaur bones that have been found with soft tissue. So that's just really, really interesting to me. All right. So thank you, Jari, for that question. Hopefully I didn't ramble on too much long about things that weren't really connected to it. Uh, we have another uh, question from Amber. Comes to us from Facebook. Amber, thank you for your question. Last Q&A, you answered my question about Restrainer being the Holy Spirit. Didn't know how the fellow Christian telling me it's Michael got it from, he told me this. Michael is actively guarding Israel right now. All right, and I, I would agree with that, okay? Um, Daniel 12.1. Daniel 10.21, so I guess the verses are where he got it from. What do you make about these verses? Um, so the Bible says in the last days, Michael, the, the angel over your people, Daniel is from Israel, and, and he's told of your people is going to stand up. And then it gives some, some very distinct things. Let me go ahead and go to um, uh, Daniel here and uh, bring up the scriptures on the screen. I think it will be, it will be helpful. Let me go ahead and uh, put the scriptures up for you here. All right. So uh, it says, oh, I'm in the wrong, I'm at the wrong place. All right, here we go. Uh, so it says, um, at that time, Mike, this is, this is a Daniel 12, 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered who uh, everyone found written in the book. And many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting shame and some to um, everlasting contempt. And those who, who um, are wise, like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. So I love that passage. So I just got carried away with it. Um, so let's go back here. All right. So Michael stands up, the great prince, which is prince over the people of Israel, because the tribulation period is a time of Israel's trouble. And so Michael stands up with Israel at that time. And the Bible tells us in, in Revelation that the great dragon stands before the woman with the 12 stars and the moon and the sun. And that is Israel about to give birth to the son, trying to devour the child that happened. And then in the tribulation period, he turns to attack Israel and come after them. And God supernaturally protects them in the book of Revelation. And the Bible says, um, I think it's Jeremiah 37, that the day of the Lord is a day of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So it's the same thing that's happening here. So it says, Michael stands up and there will be a time of trouble such as was never seen since the, the nation, even to this time. That's the tribulation period. Jesus talked about the same thing. And at that time, your people shall be delivered out of it. It's just like Jeremiah 37. Here's the thing. It doesn't say that he stood up and went away. It never says he goes away. It says that Michael stays there. So if he's the restrainer who was removed, where does your friend get that he's removed? I, the fact that, my, that Michael is there because he's the prince over Israel is understandable, but it never says he's removed. 
That's the thing to ask your friend. Why do you think that he's the restrainer that is removed? We talked about this last week. The restrainer that is removed, we believe, is the, the Holy Spirit in the church. The Holy Spirit will still be here, but we are the light and we are the salt, and salt stops decay, and we're doing that now, but we are going to be removed one day, and I believe that that's what that is. So that's what I think of that, Amber. I don't think it holds water, you know? I don't want to be mean to him, and, and but it, why does he think he's removed? Why does he think that Michael is removed when instead he stands up and is there standing up to fight for Israel in that day of, of trouble when the Bible says is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved out of it. So thank you very much uh, for your question. Uh, and if you are joining us, if you're just tuning in, great to have you here. If um, you are on YouTube, consider subscribing uh, and ringing the bell. And by our analytics, we know that about 50% of people who watch our videos are not subscribed. Uh, and the more YouTube pushes things out, the, these will reach more people if you're subscribed and you ring that bell. You'd get notified as well. And if you're on Facebook, then consider sharing this. Again, we would just like to get this out to as many people as possible. We see this as ministry. And uh, the questions that you have are the same questions that other people have as well. All right. So if you have questions and you're just joining us, uh, then write down uh, the word question or the, a question mark in front of it and then give us your question. Uh, make sure to reread it a couple times that it would be clear and I will take them in order. Uh, we will answer as many as we get. So we have another question here from Matt uh, in, in the hour and uh, we're about halfway into that. So we have plenty more time for questions, all right? So if you got questions, then go ahead and write them in. We'll take as many as we get or an hour, whichever comes first. Question, follow up. What are some differences for the flood? Oh, uh, I, I told him, oh, defenses for the flood. I told him that Jesus' references the days of Noah. Yeah, that's one of them, okay? Um, so defenses for the flood. So, um, yeah, the fact that Jesus talks about uh, it shall be as it was in the days of Noah. So Jesus believed that they were literal. Jesus is God and would know. And I don't think that he would be making references to Adam and Eve if they weren't literal. I don't think he would be making references to, um, uh, to Noah and the flood or to Sodom and Gomorrah unless they were literal. So those are the main defenses, Matt. You hit that right on the nose when you told him Jesus referenced the days of Noah. I think that um, the rest of the writers as well, when you have uh, Jude or Peter talking about the, the um, fallen angels kept in chains, the spirits kept in chains because they didn't keep their proper abode during the days of Noah, that they believe in the days of Noah as well. And if Noah is an example for us, Noah went in the boat, and the day he went in the boat, the destruction came and took people away, then we were going to be taken out before the destruction came, just like Lot had to leave Sodom before the destruction came. Noah becomes an example of that. If he's a fake person, didn't really exist, uh, then I don't know how that could be true. So uh, I, I think that there, there's evidence for a worldwide flood, and I realize that certain scientists would mock that, but I think that there is evidence for a worldwide flood and that some scientists that don't believe would have to come in uh, and, um, and respond to some of those evidences. 
All right, so that's the so just a handful of the defenses. Um, again, it's off the top of my head. Uh, I have done whole sermons before on several of the different defenses for the flood, so there's more than just that, but I appreciate your question there, and I think you got it right on the nose um, there, Matt. Thank you very much. I appreciate your question. So we have a question from, yeah, uh, Francilia. What are the top three recommendations for studies on Revelation? Uh, what would be my top three recommendations for the book of Revelation? I think we have a pretty quick one from Skip Heitzig um, of Calvary Albuquerque called You Can Understand the Book of Revelation. Easy read, good information. Also, I love that you want to study Revelation because the Bible gives a promise that those who hear and do the things written in this book or this prophecy uh, are going to be blessed. So when you study the book of Revelation, uh, then you are going to be blessed. Um, I, there, there's also a Calvary Chapel pastor. Um, I think his name is Gary Hamrick. He's from Leesburg. And on YouTube, you can go to their webpage. I think it's Calvary. Mm, I'm trying to remember what it is. Um, but just look up on on um, on YouTube. Look up Gary Habermack and uh, our Calvary, Calvary Leesburg. And that'll come up. And he's got some really good extensive studies in the book of Revelation. Uh, also, if you're looking for... Um, videos to watch, then um, I think Jimmy Evans has some great videos on the book of Revelation. He's also got his book called Turning Point, which talks about the end of the world, which is really, really a good resource uh, that's out there. All right. Um, and I'm trying to think of the old days who would kind of, who was the go-to when we didn't have any videos we could watch when we had to, you know, study by cracking open a book and, um, and, and looking at it. And I think that I, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, of who I went to. I just, my mind isn't that good right now. I can't remember who my go-to people were uh, for the book of Revelation. I'd have to look in my library and see um, who it was that I went to. So that should be some help to get you started. I'm glad you really want to study it. Um, I want to do it again. I'm not real satisfied with the last time we did the book of Revelation. I want to really dive into it again. Um, we just did the seven letters to the seven churches not that long ago. So we might just start picking it up in chapter four here pretty soon. And um, we'll maybe we'll do one quick study on the first three chapters. And then we'll go to chapter four and start and do one here pretty soon. All right. So thank you for your question. I really appreciate that. We have another question from JG. JG says, does talk, taking the mark of the beast and worshiping the beast in Revelation a form of someone committing the unforgivable sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You are going to know what you are doing. You, you're going to have to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. And you will not be saved. You cannot be saved anymore. So it is a type of going too far. Not just a type of going too far. It is going too far. And so I think the blasphemy of the spirit today is a type of what it will be when taking the mark of the beast is, uh, and, and people cannot be saved. Um, I think, JG, the question that you had, 
No, Jari's question that I, I want to deal with in a future Q&A is what if a six-year-old takes the mark of the beast? So we'll talk about that later, all right? Unless somebody really wants to throw a question out there now. But at another Q&A, that's one of the questions that we're going to look at that Jari had asked um, in, one of the, in, in one of our videos. Uh, so it's good to see you guys. Um, Antonia has a question from uh, YouTube. Is the COVID vaccine in any way the mark of the beast? No, no. Um, neither is credit cards or bar, you know, barcodes or um, anything else that you can take or use uh, without making a commitment to the Antichrist. You're pledging your allegiance to the Antichrist. And so taking the vaccines are in no way, shape or form the, the mark of the beast. All right. If they made you pledge allegiance to a man when you took it, then I might go, oh boy, you know, that's the mark of the beast. Then you'd have to show your, your vaccination card um, in order to buy or sell. But it is not the mark of the beast until uh, they say you got to pledge your allegiance to the Antichrist in order to be the mark of the beast. All right. Plus the mark of the beast is 666. I don't know how that would correlate to the vaccine. Someone would have to figure that out. But I'm, I'm going to say no. If you've taken the, the vaccination, another thing, if it was the mark of the beast, the people who have taken the vaccination would not be able to be saved. They would be beyond it, which would mean I'm beyond it because I took the vaccination. So I'm beyond being saved if that's the case. All right. Uh, so nope, the vaccination is not the mark of the beast. I did not take the mark of the beast. All right, I did do it though with a lot of prayer and seeking God and looking for direction. Uh, we have another question here from Kimberly. Kimberly says, question, I feel like I've gone down the wrong road for so long that God can no longer use me. I really want to get back to the path that the Lord has chosen for me. I want peace in my life again. Does God still want to save me? Kimberly, I can say with all confidence that if you come to God and confess your sins, he will be faithful to forgive you. Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go after the one. When you go astray, uh, Jesus, the, the father, the only time we ever see God running in the Bible as a representation is when the father of the prodigal son, he'd gone out, he'd spend his money on prostitutes, on riotous living. And then when he ran out, he went back to his father and his father ran down the road, took him in his arms, kissed him on his neck, put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and said, my son who was dead has come home again. And, and so, yes, you can come back. There, there, you, there, as long as you want to come back from wherever you've been. And it's only the enemy who would like to keep you away, Kimberly. It's only the enemy who would like to say, you can't come back because you've gone too far. I have good news for you. God wants you to come back and find everything in him. And the Satan's going to continue to lie to you. And you need to hang on to the truth of God's word, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse you, hands your sinners and purify your heart, you double-minded. So you can draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And you do that by cleansing your hands of sin. Lord, forgive me. I want to do what's right. And you enter into that deeper relationship with God. So for anyone who feels like they've gone too far, that's the lie of Satan. That's the lie of the enemy. The person who will not come back, that's the person that can't be saved. The one who won't repent. If you want, if you're repenting and coming back, then you know you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. 
okay? It's really important to understand. Um, and I've dealt with this for years. When I was a youth pastor in the early 80s, uh, I had a girl come to me with Hebrews 4, 6 open. I think I've committed this sin. You know, I've, I've gone too far. But that passage says it's impossible to renew them to repentance. It doesn't say it's impossible for them to be saved. And so I said to her, do you want to come back? She said, yes. I said, then you haven't committed this. The person who committed it does not want to come back. So you could come back. I walked away from the Lord at 18 for various reasons. And I came back to the Lord at 19. And God took me back. And I didn't think he was going to. I thought I had blown my chance of really being used by God. But certainly that wasn't true. So long ago that I walked away and God's done so many things in my life since then. All right, Kimberly, so thank you very much for your question. By all means, come back, Kimberly, and come back with a zeal and a gusto for God, and God will use you in great and powerful ways, okay? So um, Veronica says, how do you explain near-death experiences of unbelievers that people come back and seen and, and meet God and or Jesus? The Bible says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, so I'm not sure what you're asking here um, of unbelievers that say that they see or meet God or Jesus. I don't believe that the, the, the powerful evidence of near-death experiences is the experience that they have. Because you have all kinds of different experiences that people have after they die. Some going to places that are not even would not even we, we would not even consider to be biblical so who knows what's happening in the mind at the moment of death and where people think they are the part of near-death experiences that is really powerful is that they're supernatural in that people are able to tell what's going on in the operating room after they die when they die on the table what's going on in the in the waiting room what's going on in their house so somehow they're still connected to their family and friends which is really powerful and there's something supernatural happening. And if there's something supernatural happening, then we can believe in the supernatural of the Bible. That's the power of near-death experiences. We aren't trying to actually look at their experiences and say, and gain anything from that. We're, we're oh, anything theological or anything about heaven or hell from their near-death experiences. Instead, we're looking at the miraculous things that happen around near-death experiences and saying, this tells us that we're not just a body. That when all the electricity shuts off, boom, we just go away. It tells us something else is going on because people knew things they shouldn't have known after they died. And that's pretty amazing. So that's the power of near-death experiences, not whether or not they saw Jesus or went to hell or, or if someone who's an atheist saw something good happen to them. We're not looking at that, that aspect of it. There's various reasons for that, all right? Because the data from that doesn't show or prove heaven, hell, Jesus, God in any way. But the supernatural aspect proves that there is a supernatural and that tells us that we can seek and look for the supernatural. So in other words, people who say extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence and there's no proof of the supernatural so I can't believe anything supernatural would happen. Eh, what about near-death experiences? That's, that's an argument uh, for that. All right. So thank you very much, Veronica. I appreciate that. Uh, Jari has another question. Jari says, what are your thoughts on uh, cloning humans and animals if they 
if the Lord tarries, can human clones be saved like Astro Boy, etc.? So I'm not sure who Astro Boy is. And they are, are or are they just animals? Um, so I, as, as far as I understand cloning, all right, not an expert, okay, so I'm just going to say that right from the beginning. I'm not an expert, so I don't know. Um, but as far as I understand it, they take a fertilized egg of whatever they want to clone, and then they reprogram it. So they, they take the soul of an animal that's in a fertilized egg, and they're able to reprogram what that is going to look like. They take the, the fertilized cell of a human and can clone that to look like another human. That's what I understand it is. So it always would be a soul. I think it's a, it's a violation to take a human and to reprogram what they look like, to look like someone else. I, I think that we're not going to see a lot of that. I think it's happening and I think they're cross, you know, they're using animals to re, you know, taking certain parts of the DNA of chimpanzees and somehow connecting that to the DNA of humans or of other animals. And I think that some of that is going on. And I guess it depends on what they start with. Do they start with a fertilized egg of a chimpanzee or they start with a fertilized egg of a human, if that's happening or if that's going to happen in the future. So that's, as far as I understand it, they're not just like growing cells in a petri dish and turning them into a person. They haven't been able to do that. They've got to start with what God already made, which is a fertilized egg. And from there, move forward. All right, thanks, uh, Jari. And if I'm wrong about that, let me know, all right? If I'm, if I'm wrong about the way that's done, that's as far as I understand it, being a pastor, not a scientist, all right? Uh, thanks, Jari, I appreciate that. I think that the Lord's got to come back pretty soon because of where we're going. Who knows what we'll end up doing, all right? Um, if um, and, and I think God had that concern too. Now, man will be able to do whatever he puts his mind to, so God separated man in the Tower of Babel. We have a question from Cheryl Lynn. Uh, and that's one cute dog, Cheryl. Uh, question, because there is nothing in the Bible about taking the COVID shot, right? There's nothing about that. If I reject the shot, I lose my internship based on the belief that I have, still small voice. Do you think citing this reason makes God look bad to non-believers. Um, so, I, I, I like your thought here. I like the direction you've gone here. That we live as a witness, right? A testimony to the world. So, we want to do things in our lives that support drawing people closer to Christ and not further away from Christ. Uh, I think that the shot has become a, the, the vaccine has become the vaccine for COVID. All right, I want to be really clear here because people who don't want to take the COVID shot are not against vaccines for the most part. Um, obviously, someone who's against vaccines doesn't want to take a COVID shot too. Um, but um, it's been very politi politicalized. It, there's a ton of politics that are, that are behind it. And not only politics is, is there are there are different groups that do not want to take this shot for various reasons. 
And those are decisions you have to make. And if you don't want to take the shot because you truly believe that God is telling you not to, then don't do it. How do we know what's going on? Right? God knows what we don't know. And so I prayed about it, sought God, moved forward with it, with the God being able to tell me no, and then went ahead and took the shot. Um, I was hesitant to do it, but I really sought God. And I believe that if I was going to have a side effect of something that God that was going to hurt me or, or kill me, that God would have stopped me. And there are people that have had side effects that have killed them by taking the shot. It's very, very, very rare. I mean, 13 million have taken the Johnson & Johnson shot and there have been 100 cases of a certain kind of a disease. And I think very, it's even hard to tell the correlation between getting the shot and if someone has died. Um, but if it's happened, it's happened very, very rarely. 170, 180 million people so far taking at least one dose of the vaccine. Um, so if you feel like the Spirit's giving you a check, don't do it, then certainly you should not do it, right? Because you, you've got to be able to evaluate. You want to do what God tells you to do. And if your conscience tells you to do something and you don't do it, the Bible says that's sin. So if your conscience tells you taking the shot is wrong for you, then it's wrong for you. And no one can argue it. And if you were, if someone, you know, they're going to say, if someone says things like you're murdering people or, you know, it's, it's you guys that are causing um, these variants to be out there. I, I think all of that is, I think all of that is wrong and provable wrong by what's happening in Israel today. That is the highest amount of people vaccinated and the variants are still there and, and running rampant and there's problems, although most people are vaccinated. So there's all kinds of little statements that are made that, that why, why are there so many people who don't want to take the vaccine? I think it's because we've been lied to from the beginning about COVID from the very beginning out of the shoot. And then they use shame and, and, and uh, coercing to try to get people to take it instead of just trying to inform the people. I, I think had they been honest about COVID from the beginning, I think if they just come out with a campaign that says you're going to be safer, you're going to be better off if you take the vaccine, give you the numbers, let you make a decision without telling you this is a, you know, you're murdering without and all the things you hear on the news, the nightly news when it talks about the, the, the vaccine uh, that, you know, are negative and fear mongering. Um, one of the comorbidities for COVID-19 is stress. And, and then you watch the news and they lay all this stress on you. And it's something that's happened from the very beginning of COVID. They've just laid all this stress on you. And so the two highest comorbidities are overweight and stress. Both of which, by the way, we can do something about. If you are overweight and there may be reasons why you are heavy, it, it, it may be diabetes, it may be something else that's just genetically. Um, but for most people, they could lose weight. It's hard, I understand. But that's something you can do. But why haven't we, have we talked about that? Why didn't we say, you know, you guys got to get a hold of stress in your life. Start doing some stress management. We know how to do that. We're smart enough as a people to know how to relieve our stress. And so those two comorbidities can be taken care of. 
and those are, are the most. But instead, they in, induce stress and fear and cause all kinds of people who don't want to take the shot to get more stress and fear. And I just think it's the, been the wrong way to handle it from the very beginning. All right, so there you guys, you got it. My opinion on all that stuff, which is worth exactly what you paid for it, right? It's worth um, nothing. Um, but uh, if you, Cheryl, pray about it and feel like the Lord said no, then make that decision and move forward. If it's the wrong decision, God's big enough to, to persuade you and have you get the shot. There were a couple of the things that I thought of when I when I got the shot. And I don't know if this will help you or not. Um, one of them is that 90%, 97% of doctors have taken the vaccine. A lot of coworkers, a lot of medical health workers haven't, but 97% of doctors have. And I think these are the most informed people that are out there. I'm not saying they're smarter than anybody else, although I think they're pretty smart, but they they are the most informed. And if they've risked themselves to take this vaccine, then I go, well, okay, that's that's very strong to me. All right. Another one is how many people do you know that have gotten COVID personally and that have struggled with it? So for a long time, I didn't know anybody that had struggled with it. I know people that got it and did it, handled, handled it well, but I started having people that I know who got it and really struggled with it, went to the hospital for a couple of weeks, really struggled with it. And so that just made me go, if, if, if people that I know, this is my own personal world, and it can't always be, you can't always base things off of your own personal world, right? But I just thought, if God's showing me this, then um, uh, th those are a couple of my thoughts, plus seeking God and praying about it, um, plus just believing, being led by the Spirit, I'm supposed to take it. So that's me. Okay, so you've got to do, and I, if I really felt like God wanted me to take it and I didn't take it, then I would be wrong. If you feel like you're not supposed to take it, but you take it, then you would be wrong. So you've got to kind of live your convictions or live your own conscience. All right, so it took a long time to answer that question. Cheryl, I think it's really important. All right, um, We have one more question here from Jari. I'll take this question and then this is going to be it. Thank you guys for being here. You can go ahead and write your questions down still while I finish talking here before we close it out because I look back at this log, the log that um, that you guys have on, on your comments from everywhere, Facebook, YouTube, all of them, wherever you're watching from. And whatever questions you ask, I look for for the beginning of future Q&As. All right. So um, Jari says, why do some people believe pre-trib, others mid, and others no rapture? And other Christians, some of them I know in the Pentecostal church don't care. It will all pan out in the end. And um, so I, this could be a long answer. This could be a short answer, Jari. And we're late, late on time. You can re-ask it in another Q&A and I'll take more time with it if you want me to. Um, but there are all kinds of different beliefs about the last days. There are all-millennial and, and, um, and, and pre-millennial. Personally, I'm pre-millennial. There are those who believe that the thousand-year period is, is just a, a number that represents forever. There are those that believe that the world's getting better and better and better, and there's going to be no tribulation period. We're just going to Christianize the world, and then Jesus is going to come back when we do that. For me, there, there are those who believe all the things Revelation already took place in the past. Preterists, and then extreme preterists, which end up believing heresies, 
um, which the other ones are just kind of like, well, you're preferring something over another, right? But when you begin to deny certain things about the Bible, well, then you got more problems and, and, and full preterism has those kind of problems. Um, but amillennialism pre, uh, um, doesn't, premillennialism doesn't. I just think premillennium, pre-tribulation rapture, believing in pre-tribulation rapture, premillennial fits the Bible the best. And if I didn't, I, I wouldn't trust in it. And um, people can mock all they want. People are, are fond of mocking that, posi that, that position. But hey, I'm going to believe what the Bible says, not what you say. I'm going to, I'm not out to please men. I'm out to please God and live for him with a whole heart. And so if you want to just say, I don't know, I'm just going to live for God. That's all right. The person who says it all pan out in the end. All right, you can do that. I have no problem with that. I don't like it because you're not saying, you could say I'm ready for Jesus right now, but if I go to the middle of the tribulation period, but you're supposed to be ready because he could come back at any moment. And if you don't believe that, then you're not watching and waiting. So if you're pan tribulations, you're watching and waiting, you think he could come back at any moment. Okay, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with whatever you believe. I mean, who am I to tell you what you should believe and shouldn't believe? I'm saying, look at the scriptures and I don't think it tells us to, to it'll all pan out in the end. It tells us that God's going to keep us from the hour of testing. It's coming upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation 3.10. I think the tribulation period is going to be so awful. So many people die. Flesh will become rare that the church could not possibly go into it. Not because we don't want to escape evil, but it's God's wrath and we, we, we would be destroyed. And God's not mad at us. God's not mad at us in the, that are in the church. He's angry at those that dwell on the earth who are living their own lives in their own ways. That's the, who the wrath of God comes down upon. All right, so I am past time. I really appreciate your guys' questions. They are great today. Um, and hopefully I was able to give you some things to think about uh, scripture-wise. I appreciate you guys, love you guys. Uh, I would just encourage you, hey, join us in church tonight if you want to. We'll, uh, we'll be online uh, here in a couple of hours. Uh, we're gonna be talking about the misconcepts that people have, misunderstandings that people have about Jesus. That's what we're gonna be talking about um, tonight in our study in the book of Luke. So I appreciate you guys. Stay close to Jesus. May you love him more tomorrow than you do today. May, God, may your inner man, meaning man, inner man or woman, be renewed day by day by the power that God gives you. All right, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. So our next Q&A, uh, we probably will not have one on Wednesday, uh, but we are gonna have a Q&A next Sunday. All right, we'll be taking a break for uh, the midweek service. All right, God bless you guys. We will